welcome to the Cosmic Chats podcast with me, your host, Debbie Sugarbaker. On this show, I share conversations with individuals whose work, knowledge, wisdom, and insight have helped me open my mind and perspective, alchemize perceived negative situations, live in a healthier body, and see the world in a deeper, more wondrous way on a daily basis. My aim is that you, the listener, are able to receive all of that and tap into your own heart and energy to create possibilities and elevate your experience of this reality we call life. Please enjoy this episode. I'm personally extremely excited to be able to interview Batia Solomon today. Batia is a teacher, instructor at the Kabbalah Center, and she has been studying and teaching Kabbalah for about 30 years, a <laughs> student for 30 years. And she has a background in education. And today she's going to share with us an incredible experience that she had during a bout with COVID last year, where she actually went to the other side and was able to come back and to tell us about her experience. My name is Debbie Sugarbaker, and I'm doing these interviews to help elevate consciousness and connect people to other ways of viewing different parts of our life, problems that we face, you know, struggles that we go through. I'm doing interviews to help us raise consciousness and help us through those times. I'm really excited to have Batia here because personally, I went through two major losses in 2018. And following my brother's passing, I was obsessed with listening to near-death experiences and helped me to see like that our reality is so much vaster than we usually think. That loss really isn't so much loss. There is, of course, a loss of the physical person, but there's just a lot more to it. I was really thrilled when I heard Batina share her story. It really, really touched my heart. And so I'm excited to hear from her today. Thank yeah. you. What was it that led up to the experience? What was it like the day of? And you can give us a little background. Well, let's, let's go back a little further. My spiritual journey actually began with the death of my own father. Uh, he passed when I was 16. And um, he, we had a tumultuous relationship. And so that didn't end well. His gift of leaving, I believe, you know, really opened the door. And I could really mark the journey of my spirituality right from there. Because then I too, it's funny when someone you love passes away, uh, it's suddenly you want to know everything. You're trying to like, I think it was my way of trying to control the situation or make sense of it. You know, one minute he was there, he di suddenly died of a heart attack. It wasn't like we had any warning. He wasn't slowly getting ill and then getting used to the idea. It was one minute he was there, the next minute he was gone. Some people have that process of anticipatory grief if there's like a sickness or an illness, but then there's, you know, if, if it's a sudden death, then you don't necessarily have that and it's a different experience. Yeah, exactly. So that's when I started to ask questions. Where does the soul go? What happens when a person dies, et cetera, which eventually led me to the Kabbalah Center back in 1990. All roads, I, I noticed, lead to Kabbalah. And that's where I ended up eventually. So someone's asking, do you think you can control a situation or your response to it? Obviously, you can't control the situation. I can only control my response to it, obviously. And so the way I dealt with it was to find out more and more and more. So now where it's 2020, my nephew had been 
uh, struggling with cancer for like five years. He lives in New York. I was in Florida at the time. And I got a call. It was, it was two o'clock in the morning. It was like Friday, March 13th that he passed. And I packed my bags, got on a flight, didn't sleep all night, got on a flight, went to New York. Funeral was the next day. It was a Friday afternoon. Went to the center for to spend Shabbat. Was he, so, was he young? 45. Yeah. Yeah. 45 for me is young. It is. So, yeah. It's really interesting, this whole idea of people associating death with age. One of the lessons I learned is really death. First of all, there is no such thing as death. That's one of the things I learned. Uh, and I'll get into that in a minute. Death has nothing to do with, with the age of a person. And death actually has nothing to do with the health of a person either. As in my case, for people who are the more wrapped up in the world of the five senses, I, I believe everything I see around me, it's solid. The desk is solid. That body is solid. This house is solid. So it's real. Right. And things I right. can't see are not real. It's actually the opposite. And it takes a while to wrap your head around that. Everything we think is real is actually not real. Everything we think is not real is real, pretty much, in a nutshell. So there he was. All right. I spent the, cent the Shabbat in the center. That particular Shabbat, it was a week after Purim. And I did not know that half the community was already sick with COVID. They had ordered all these meals. There was supposed to be a couple hundred people for that Shabbat. And they said, everybody stay home because people are, have been getting sick. Well, I had no other place to go. It was me and like eight other people actually was, went to there. There was like food for 200 people. We ate like kings and queens sitting there at the day. Little did I realize what I walked into. So for the next three days, I was at the Shiva for my nephew and he lives in Brooklyn, and it's a very, he, he was part of a very religious community. Let's just put it that way, Orthodox Jewish community. And it was a very tiny house, and a lot of people were there. And everyone's breathing on top of each other. It was really the beginning of COVID. Right. Yeah, this one's kid was sick, and he showed up, and that one's brother was sick, and he showed up. And, you know, we really didn't appreciate what that really meant. I had five days of not a good night's sleep. My eating was erratic. My emotions were off the charts. There, I was grieving. The reason I went the first place was really to be there for my sister, my sister's son that passed. He had a, he had a twin brother, has a twin brother. And she was in her own world, locked into a world of denial. So that was extremely stressful, just dealing with her, being there for her, not sleeping, not eating. My immune system was like down to the floor. There was like nothing left of it. By the time I got home, and what I usually do when I travel and I have given like all of my energy to, to people, I usually spend like up to a week in bed. I need to, I just have nothing left. And I literally sleep to regenerate myself. That's the way I get yeah. it. So I was in bed for a week and... I'm already making plans for the following weekend, already invited people to the house. <laughs> and comes the weekend, and I'm exhausted. I'm still tired. In fact, I was so weak and tired, I couldn't even go out of my bedroom. There were people in my house. My husband was entertaining. <laughs> but I was too weak, and I still didn't get the whole COVID thing. And so every day, instead, I kept waiting because our usual 
ritual, mind control ritual. My husband, no, leave her alone. You know, she's going to sleep it off. And then whenever I feel better, I'll start to get out of bed. I'll feel better, whatever. So this a whole week went by. I didn't feel better. And now we're into the second week. I'm still not feeling better. In fact, I'm getting weaker and weaker and weaker. But it was subtle. I was coughing uh, a, a lot by this point. My chest was congested. And so my husband's rightly so, left our bedroom, went to sleep in, the, in another room because he didn't want him to get sick. And every day he'd peek in the room and see if I was okay. He didn't realize, he thought I was sleeping. I couldn't even get my head off the pillow. I could hardly breathe, point it, and I lost track of days and nights. I was at this point where I was so weak I could just sip water. That was as much as I could even take into my system. And my breathing was getting more and more shallow to the point where I felt if I took a deep breath, I would cough and have even less oxygen. So there I was in this vigil. I can't talk. My husband thinks I'm sleeping and he's waiting for me like he usually do. Like no clue, no clue. But we don't really, let, thank God, we never really had to deal with illness. And our families never experienced anything like that. Always saw me bounce back. So he just thought I was ex extremely tired, whatever. Or I had a cold. It didn't occur to either of us I had COVID. At this point, I'm breathing so shallow that I have to be very vigilant in my breathing. Because if I breathe too deeply, my lungs are so filled with water, it was like drowning in my lungs. So I, it was like a person who was drowning at sea. I was holding on to a piece of driftwood that was keeping me afloat. But I couldn't sleep because if I slept, I couldn't breathe. So I don't know how long I was in that state of holding on to like a survivor in the ocean. That's what it felt like. Eventually, I was so exhausted, I just eventually slipped into coma. I don't know what I slipped into. Next thing I know, my chest doesn't hurt anymore. I think I was having a heart attack, quite frankly, because the pain in my chest was so intense. I kept feeling like somebody is punching me in the chest, punching me in the chest. Why didn't it occur to me to go to the hospital? Good question. If I could speak, I would have said something, but I was too weak and couldn't get out of the bed, mostly. Anyway, I did go to the hospital after the fact, by the way. Next thing I knew, my chest isn't hurting anymore. Nothing's hurting anymore. I'm floating. And what felt like something similar to outer space. Here's a warning here. When it comes to metaphysical experiences, there is no equivalent language in the English language to, to really describe the experience. I have to use metaphor. That's why scripture is always a story, a metaphor, because the only way we can communicate these ideas is through metaphor, through, through analogies. Anyway. I, so I'm having this out-of-body experience. I'm floating in sort of like a brownish-gray kind of world. It, it, didn't, it wasn't exactly outer space, but it's the closest for, in terms of description that I could describe to anyone. And I'm at peace, and, I'm, and everything from this point on happened, and then I was aware of it. It happened, and then I was aware of it. So I'm floating, asking myself, am I dead? Is this death? My consciousness, by the way, a person's consciousness is always there. So there I was, my soul is floating. I'm wondering where I am. I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm not in my body. I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm not struggling to breathe or that my heart isn't being punched 
uh, that I'm being punched in the chest and I'm just floating and I'm just like in the state of, uh, of awareness, not freaking out or anything, just kind of awareness. Like, wow, I wonder what, what's going on here. Every time I was aware of something, it was already happening. This being, I'll call it a being. I didn't see any angels. I didn't see any wings. I didn't see a halo. I felt a presence, a loving, very loving presence, which was now guiding me. And I didn't realize, but I was struggling. It was like taking me somewhere. Again, this is metaphorical, friends. So in my earthly consciousness, let's say, it felt like I was going, moving from one dimension to another in space. And what I didn't realize is that I was trying to move my body. And then I realized I don't have a body. And the, real, the minute I realized I don't have a physical body to manipulate. Then I started freaking out. Oh my God. And I couldn't do anything. It was so frustrating. And this being, this loving being that was with me. Was that scary? Well, the scary part was realizing I didn't have a body anymore. Yeah. That was the scary part. I, one minute I was like, oh, I want to, you know, go over there. I want to move my hands. I want to go from this side of the room to the other side of the room. And now I realize it's like you're in a car. And suddenly the car doesn't work anymore and you're walking. Wait a minute, I've been using this car for whatever years and, you know, suddenly I don't have that car anymore. So my virtual reality suit was gone. It was just me and I'm pure consciousness and this other consciousness is now with me trying to guide me somewhere and I am resisting it because I'm freaking out and I want to be in control, right? Because controlling right. Is, has to do with fear. I don't know what's happening. And so I have to figure out a way out of control, which is how we spend most of our lives. We're in, a, in an attempt to control other people, control our circumstances, control what other people are thinking or saying or doing, having an opinion about it, et cetera. So here I am. I'm, I didn't even realize I was struggling till this beautiful, again, message, telepathic message is communicated to me. It says to me, you can struggle all your life. I have all the time in the world. <laughs> And then, it's, oh my gosh. and then it said, um, no, you, you have another option. You could embrace the experience and not, you know, fight it, you know, oh, there was another option because I'm just so used to fighting. I'm just used to trying to control. So at, at, at some point I just stopped struggling and I said, okay, obviously that's not getting me anywhere. I can't make anything happen. So I, uh, let this being guide me and I, I was being guided into another dimension and you could feel the difference it was the way i experienced this going from one dimension to another was a feeling of going from color gray to the clarity to now i was entering being directly guided was really interesting it looked like it's hard to explain in words so i'm going to give different don't take this literally it looked like a big white cloud that I we were like going into was I, where am I going on a spaceship or I'm just going into something. It wasn't a, it wasn't a physical thing. It wasn't a spaceship, but it was a definite distinction between one dimension and another dimension. Now I understand for those of you who study Kabbalah, you know, when you see the circles and the lines of the 10 sphere road, a logo of the center, you know, those, those circles and the line, the 10 sphere road. 
I think the line of the 10 dimensions of reality, the 10 dimensions, there is a dimension and there's like a space between one or a way to get there. I was like on that line, so to speak. And so here I am, and now I'm entering into what feels like a thicker density, but beautiful white. It was like, like floating into a cloud, let's say. And then I Claire, wait, Claire just said something. She said, I think everyone's experience is different. It's true. And what, the, what my understanding of that is, Claire and everybody, is that if you send 10 people to Manhattan, New York City, and you send them and they, and you say, well, what did you see? And what did you do? what did you hear? And one person went to Harlem and one person went to the, the Greenwich Village and another person went to the east side and the ad side. So one person went to Grand Central Station. They've all been to Manhattan, but those give you different experiences. And I believe that the experiences we have are a reflection of where our consciousness is. So, you know, you take some people, they left and they saw relatives, they went down a tunnel and they saw relatives and they greeted them. Some people saw Jesus, some people saw Moses, some people just saw a beautiful white light. It all depends on what the soul's journey is really all about. Right. I skipped the relative part. There was really no relatives. For me, it was... Everything was happening before I had a clarity or I was, my consciousness was catching up to it. And the reason for that is there's no such thing as time. So when we're used to thinking and, and, and being in this dimension, which I call the holographic dimension, there's this illusion of time, the future's in front of us, the past is behind us. There is no such thing as time in the linear sense. This time is everything is all happening all at the same time. So when I'm in this other dimension and everything is happening and from this point all at the same time, I have to describe it in a linear way because that was the only way I could communicate it, but it wasn't a linear experience. One thing about you on that note is that I heard a psychic, uh, and she was medium, and she described it once that trying to describe the other side is like trying to describe algebra to a dog. Like our human brain can't really understand algebra. But here's what happens. You're right. So I am geese guided by this beautiful, loving being. I've just felt very loved, very gentle, very, and guiding me to a particular place in this dimension. And I noticed that we were going to a particular, dare I say, location. There was no such thing as location, but that I was guided to my, I'll call it my parking spot. I was guided to a particular spot in that dimension it was like i was part i felt like i was a cog in this great machinery of life and when i was guided to that spot it was almost as if like a puzzle piece was put into that puzzle and the big and the picture made itself clear suddenly i was in my spot and it was just as if i was now connected to everything that is I don't even know how to describe it. It was suddenly like everything lit up, you know, and I was something out of a science fiction movie from here on in. I was connect as if there were wires, let's say, and I put on my wired helmet and, you know, and I was like hooked up with wires and suddenly I see the whole machinery. So it wasn't wires, but I'm just using it as a metaphor. I have to be very careful with words. And there I was and I saw my consciousness now became aware of the fact that I was in a place that I couldn't wrap my consciousness around the end of it. If I say to you, picture the state of California, chances are 
you would see an outline of this. You've seen a map of the world. You've seen the United States. And then you could be able to like basically discern the state of California through that. Well, when my consciousness was connected to this world, there was no end. There was no map like that. It was ending. I felt I was aware of galaxies and worlds and other forms of life and so far beyond our wildest imagination. It's like if we were like less than an ant, you know, an ant compared to this to the this planet. You think of the planet to an ant? We're so infinitesimally small here, it's unbelievable. There is so much going on with so many beings and on other galaxies and other life forms and everything was hitting me all at once. And he's like from I felt I was like hooked up to that machine in the matrix. So I'm like <laughs> Like taking this all in, it was the most incredible feeling. And while all that is going on, I realized. I just wanted to interrupt this episode to remind you that you can find all of my cosmic chats with video on my IGTV handle at Debbie Sugarbee. That's at D-E-B-B-I-E-S-U-G-A-R-B. There, you can also find a link in my bio to support my work or sign up for a one-on-one healing session with me. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. That every single soul has their own place in creation. Every single one of us has our own unique job to do. That I felt like I was a drop in this ocean of life. And I'm a drop. I have my distinct job to do. And yet I'm one with everything. Does that make sense? Yes. As you said, I got chills when you said that. Yeah. And as I'm having this experience and I realize it is endless and I understood that, oh my God, that's why they call it Ain Self, the endless world. You were able to have that thought and you remembered Ain Self. So you- I'm conscious throughout this entire process. You were thinking like, like, I wasn't like I fell asleep and what happened. I was more awake, aware, and alive outside my body than I ever was inside my body. And you still felt like you were the entity body, like not, because sometimes, you know, we have different lifetimes. Well, here's what happens. Oh, could be different. Well, no, this is what happens. Once I was hooked up to all that is, my identity started to slip away. I was no longer Batya. I was no longer a woman. I was no longer human. I was no longer anything. And I saw, I was pure consciousness at this point, just pure consciousness. I saw planet Earth, just, and my entire life, wife, mother, human being, everything I identify with myself, my gender, my, my race, my religion, everything melted away, slipped away. I thought that's happening here on planet Earth, just melting into this lump of undifferentiated clay, let's say, like stand on the beach. I was living in a sandcastle and I thought it was real. And none of that was real. Everything, it was, I never existed. It was just a movie. I started in that movie. The movie's over now. It's time for like to go back. And yeah, we're light, God, and we're one. Did you have a reaction to that lack, to the loss of identity emotionally or? Well, Shock, I think, would be, well, like, whoa, what is going on? The entire experience was basically, whoa, what is going on? Now, our 
mental faculties, our conscience was so limited, we're, we're blinded, we're, we're shut out from the greater reality by being in these virtual reality suits we call our body. And then we have our, you know, identities and it really imprisons us. It doesn't free us. It actually imprisons us. Well, once I was free of all of that, I was free of all physicality and I'm floating in this incredible sea of love, love like I never experienced in my life, floating in bliss. And I'm all with everything and I'm home. And I felt like, wow, I'm home. That's why people get depressed on this planet. That's interesting because I've heard somebody say that, like a few people said that the beings that they met there and then they realized, oh, that this world was the foreign world. And exactly, that exactly. This is the foreign world. Happiness, joy, bliss, ecstasy. None of these words come close to experiencing being in this fulfilled state. I, I don't have words for it. I really just don't have words for it. It was like maybe one orgasm. Maybe you want to put it like that if I could be so bold as to say it. Like this one, I hope this never ends moment. You know what I mean? It was just a total freedom, release, joy, loved beyond my wildest. That's all I could, I keep saying it's loved beyond my wildest imagination. And then at, at this point, I was being shown my life review. But a certain angel showing you that or... Again, I didn't see faces. There's no human. There's no such thing as faces, by the way. That's a human construct, just say. And people who see faces and anthropomorphic figures in the other world, it's only because of revealing their level of, I'd say, consciousness or what they could handle. I've been studying this stuff for years. So when I experienced the endless world, it was incredible. You know what I mean? But I say, oh my God, that's the endless world. I mean, like I was able to identify things. Most people don't study that stuff. So for them, they see a beautiful field of flowers and they see pretty colors and they see people they love and they're meeting their loved ones and they're meeting up again in a scenic setting because that's what they could handle. That's the unconditional love of the creator force loving us at the level of consciousness that we're at when we're outside the bodies. So there I was. Now I'm being shown my life review. Here's something about a life review that I discovered. Unlike the movies, <laughs> like Defending Your Life, where they're sitting in a room and they're watching a movie on the screen and they're what? No, life review is not that. A life review was me living every poignant moment of my life, every, I'd say painful, only because they were the moments that I incarnated for, moments of choice, let's say it like that. And for me, they were extremely painful. And I was reliving them all at the same time. I'm in it. It's alive. It's happening now. And I'm experiencing it full-blown emotional pain and going through the whole process of it. And all of those things happening to me all at the same time. I got to see... The way it worked was I saw it as I lived it with my earthly lens, you might say. And then I was given a new perspective. I saw it from the perspective of my soul that I had asked for these events and they were there to teach me something. And that up until that point, I still didn't understand my tikkun. 
<laughs> so it was like they brought me upstairs and said, hey, you better get on the ball here. You're going off track. Here's what your tikkun is really all about. Now, here's the funny thing about tikkun. Tikkun is a soul so, perspective. So, yeah, some people might not know what tikkun is. So can we do tikkun is like some people call it karma or dharma or whatever. It's called soul rectification in Hebrew. It means that the we came to this world the world of this virtual reality game is to realize we're living in a virtual reality game and not to be sucked into it, but to override the game and can dictate the game. Right now, we're at very reactive to the virtual reality game. And so everywhere that we're... You feel we're, kind of like, like overcome by life or really heavy with... Well, you're reactive to We think it's real. The right. more in, engaged we are with the five senses, the harder it is for us, for anyone, to really manage their life and to do what they came to this world to do, which is to be the master of this world of the five senses, the world, the 10th dimension, the dimension of Malkut. This is our school, our playing ground. This is where we, the soul comes to practice being like God and going through experiences to awaken more and more compassion. And I wasn't on any medications at this point. I was just lying in bed and I didn't know how long I was there for. No idea how long I was out of my body for. So I didn't go to the hospital at this point. After this point, when I came back into my body, then I was taken to the hospital. Then I was told that COVID. And then they told me, you, too, you know what? If you stay in the hospital, you probably get sicker. It's worse for you here than if you go home. So they sent me home with drugs. Actually, I have a Chinese medicine doctor who... who really helped me through the COVID through Chinese uh, herbs, but that's a different story. Anyway, well, I'm having these communities. Someone's asking, did you hear a voice or sound? Everything is telepathic. Everything is communicated faster than the speed of light. I wasn't on any drugs. I was drinking water. That's all I had. And for the record, I don't even take aspirin. I'm anti any of those things. This was a purely natural experience. Let me just put it to you that way. So anyway, here I am, I'm having my life review, I'm living it, I'm now given a new lens and I understood that, now here's what we talk about in Kabbalah, we talk about tikkun, soul correction. What are we correcting? It's not real correction, it's actually not the right word, it's actually soul rectification. What are we rectifying? We're rectifying every drop of our consciousness that gets caught into this dimension, the 10th dimension that is buried in there in the frame of being reactive to, to events that are, we orchestrated in our life. It's like playing a game. It's like playing hide and seek. I'm going to bury some consciousness here in this event and that event and that story and that thing. And that person did this to me and that person did that to me. And every place that I tell my story, my justification, that's a piece I need. I, I came to this world to extract back from being caught up in the game of the five senses. So, so an example of that for, would be like, let's say for in my situation or whatever, I'm just giving you the example. I found myself in a similar situation a couple of times over of like feeling betrayed. So my, my correction might be in this time feeling betrayed or shut out would be to react differently and to say like, nope, I to not fall into my usual reaction of whatever it would be, like sadness, getting depressed well, about. First of all, it's never- an illusion. You were never betrayed. And my, my illusion was that I believed that I was unworthy of love. So that followed me my entire life, was fused onto my filter of this world. And so I, I didn't even realize I had that filter. 
It's like somebody's born into the world with glasses, purple lens glasses on their face. So just for the concept of the, the idea of the concept. So we all come with these kind of lenses. Yeah. We're here to correct yeah. and to yeah. see and to take off and to see differently. Exactly. Through our yeah. process of life. So we're kind of given this progress. Is like a, we choose those lenses. We choose the lenses that I'm unworthy. We choose the lens. I know it sounds crazy. Because you'll say, no, but if you, you knew that my parents and they didn't love me and they didn't treat me well and that this happened and we used to have money and then we got, we were broke and I was a kid and I had no choice. On the 1%, yeah, it looks like that. On the 99% of life, the soul made a contract with those other souls. We'll say, okay, we'll be the parents in this lifetime. You be the kid. We're going to treat you like crap. And you're going to have an opportunity to shift from the illusion that I'm unworthy to the truth that I am worthy. The illusion that I am betrayed to the truth that I was never betrayed because my soul group, I had, I have these, my, my council of angels, let's call them. Although I, again, I, I use that word loosely because there's no wings or whatever. There was beings, there was advanced beings for sure. Higher beings loving on me, supporting me there for me. They're like my team. I felt my team was there. I was going through my life review with my team. They weren't there to judge me. They were there lovingly educating me. Right. Which is very different than religion, the way religion puts things out. Oh, you're going to go through this, go to hell. You're going to be judging. No, there's, it's not like that. Everything is for the purpose of education. We all come to the world. Everyone has baggage. We came purposely with our baggage and use that baggage to reclaim, rectify the sparks of our consciousness that were lost or embedded in these stories over lifetimes, by the way, not just this lifetime, all our lifetimes are happening at the same time. So if you feel, feel, for example, like a certain energy with a certain person, let's say somebody really like bothers you, but you have no reason really to feel like a certain energy with them. Could it be like over a past life? Absolutely. No question there. And, and one thing was when you said one percent, so instead of one percent of reality, you meant like the physicality. And by ninety nine percent, you meant by what everything else is beyond physicality. Yeah. Can we get rid of the stories like racism? Racism, absolutely. We can definitely get rid of those stories. I just watched this interesting. It's recently a kind of like a documentary show about the kid who remembered his past life. He was white, blue-eyed, blonde hair, and his, he remembered who he was in his previous life. And his mother thought, like, the kid's three years old. He seems to know way too much about some other part of town. And the name of his mother, she looked it up, and he said, you know, that he drowned or something like that in his previous life. Anyway, what was really interesting is that he was black in one life, and he was white in another life. Right? We can come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We can come back to any variety of experiences of human under and the free will, especially the people we hate or we have prejudice against. So we're going to just keep doing this until we realize there's no point in me hating someone because they're Muslim, let's say, because I'll just be Muslim in another lifetime or they're black or they're white or they're whatever, you're rich or they're poor or they're whatever it is that whoever we're hating on, we have to realize they're another drop in our ocean. And eventually, it's really most people, I don't think, 
if, if you look throughout history, the majority of people really just want to have peace. The majority of people just want to love their families, take care of their families, make a living, you know, and have a good life. It's the minority uh, who stir things up and make, force people into boxes or trying to rule, uh, rule over us and divide us and bring up things, make things worse. Or as Rob Ashlag wrote about, have to be very, Rob Ashlag talking about the builders of the world. Who are the builders of the world? The builders of the world are the people who are kind and merciful. There was a beautiful, I, I saw an interview, I think his name was, it was a rapper. He was a rapper, a black guy. He said that uh, he was a kid and he grew up in a terrible neighborhood, terrible life, whatever. There were guns in the apartment. The police were banging on the door. He accidentally shot himself. He's lying on the floor. And the police are running into the apartment, They're like basically like ignoring the fact that this kid is lying in a pool of blood there with a hole in his chest. And one of the police officers stops and says, or tells the other guy, are you out of your minds? Look, there's a kid here. You know, let's take care of him. And he personally took this kid into the car, into the hospital, didn't leave him there, stayed with him, waited in the emergency room, waited till they operated on him, waited to find out that he was okay. And then... He, you know, and then he left and he told, he told this guy who was shot, this kid who was shot, he said, you could just call me Uncle Bob, something like that. And here's this black kid in a, you know, a neighborhood that's a horrible, whatever. And I don't want to get into the politics, but, you know, he, here he's saying, you know, and that guy who saved my life, he was a cop and he was white. <laughs> but we don't hear about those stories. We only hear about what the people who are controlling the media want to hear. But that's part of our soul correction anyway. So here I am. I have this old way of looking at things. Now I'm given a new filter and I see, oh my God, my whole life without realizing it was based on a premise that I wasn't even aware of called, I chase after crumbs of love. I only deserve to have crumbs of love. And so my whole life was designed around this filter because that in the filter, only thing that would come out at me would be resonating with that consciousness. So just like musical instruments, when you have a tuning fork, the instruments will tune to that pitch, right? Or that note, we're the same way. We're resonating at a certain frequency. So that frequency is, I only settle for crumbs of love without consciously realizing that's my frequency. So guess what's going to happen? The physical is always the effect. So situations will show up in my life to keep proving to me over and over again that I only settle for crumbs of love until I had this life review, the gift of a life review. And I didn't even realize it. Now I saw my new works and the new message I got from my council of elevated beings, my, my angel team is saying, no, don't settle for anything less than everything, right? Only the best. Don't settle. Don't compromise. And then I got it. I've watched my soul, a projection of my soul, which let's say is like a, a suit, the soul here. So our body is like a shoe. Our soul image is like a sock in the shoe. And who we really are, let's say, um, metaphorically speaking, an, an analogy, is that is the foot that goes into the sock that goes into the shoe. So we, when we think about ourselves, we usually think of ourselves as the shoe. If the, if the, if we take out of the shoe, then we see ourselves, let's say, as our soul is a metaphysical image of the shoe. 
which looks like the sock. So my soul in that analogy, so my soul is, I see my soul and it's being, it was like 75% covered in this black tar-like substance, which we know in Kabbalah, it's called klipot, right? So the, the shells of- uh, And klipot means shells. Yeah, it means shells, like curtains. I didn't see God. I don't feel reality. In this physical world, anything that keeps us from the pure love. Exactly. And so I watched, it was being scraped away. Like it went to the, like I set my suit out to the dry cleaners, right? It's like, I watched all the gook just completely be clean. And they gave me back this, my refurbished soul. It wasn't like I'm a walking now, you know, I left and another soul came into my body. I want to just tell you something like on that note was I was driving in the car with Karen Berg, who was our spiritual teacher, for anyone who doesn't know. and. I had been so taken by your story, and so I, I hope you don't mind if I share this, but I, I had basically I'd heard that sometimes when a soul goes over and will come back, it's a different soul. And so I was with Karen and I it just came to my mind, I said, Did you hear about Bhakti's story? And Karen said, Of course. And I said, Do you think that it was a different soul? Or and just looked at me and said, same soul, refreshed. Exactly. <laughs> I hope you don't mind that I asked, but I was so taken by your story and that I happened to be in that situation. It came to me to ask Karen. That will actually in the universe, my dear. That's what's meant to happen, right? It's probably one year ago. That's what people who are listening, they're meant to hear the story for whatever it's helping. Everyone is listening to this right now. I think it was really okay. powerful. And I'm, I think that we could probably continue talking about this for a long time. The left through the whole, my whole experience, it was, um, that was only, you know, the first part of it. That would be a really good idea because a lot of times that I've heard people share their NDEs, actually, and I know that they can be much longer. People share for a long time, but. Yeah. So that was just the, yeah, that was just the beginning. Let me tell you just real quick, some of the epiphanies I came back with. First of all, I would, when I came back into my body, I was mad. I was angry. I did not want to come back. So just for those of you who've lost loved ones, I have to tell you, I have to confess, when I hear someone passes away, I am so happy for them. I know it sounds really bizarre. And I don't like to share that with people because they think I'm insane and insensitive, you know, but I know that whoever is outside of their body is way better off and is having a blast uh, and, and, and it's home. We're the ones who are not home. They're home. We're not home. We're the ones who are wandering around in this crazy world. Um, so it's very hard for me to mourn people because we're the ones who have the hardest time with death are the people who most who think that this virtual reality here the, of the five senses is real. And that's what they hold on to. They're holding on to this world where everything disintegrates and it's a losing proposition. Right. But at the and, same time, we, there is like the physicality. So it's like this. How do we live in both worlds? How do we reveal our purpose here? How do we feel grounded in our body and feel good in our body and, and vitality and love? And how do we balance the two without being like completely, you know what I'm saying? How do we be present and yet be with this spiritual consciousness? I have to keep reminding myself that this is a hologram. None of this is real. And by the way, everything is temporary. I think one of the biggest gifts I can tell people, I can share with people, 
is that everything is temporary. You're having the most amazing relationship, it's temporary. You're going through the worst experience of your life, it's temporary. Everything in this world, the world of the five senses, is all temporary. None of it is, is last, none of it is real. It's all temporary. We're, there's a part of our soul that is like basking on the beach with a, you know, with a little, you know, Mai Tai, one of those drinks with a little umbrella in it. And we're like, parts of our soul are like so out there. It's so not connected to this lower stratosphere, let's say, that is doing the cleanup work, which is going, finding, where did I leave pieces of my consciousness in what story? And what I, you know, I love when I am able to help people in my private coaching practice, my manifest more private coaching practice, or as a teacher of Kabbalah, or just on, when I teach my prosperity principle classes every week, every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Kabbalah.com, shameless plug, I know, but it's worth it, is to really give people the opportunity to wake up and say, oh, what am I doing here? And not like, oh, Prosperity principles, how can I make more money? How can I make more money? Oh, my dear, that's such a small part of the conversation. Right. Such a small part. We're talking about real fulfillment, right? Like, and feeling worthy and, and finding those things in love. I've never felt love and worthy. Yes. Good in my body and good in my skin and happy with who I am. And that team, that angel team never leaves you. They're there with you all the time, all the time when you sleep, when you eat, when you're in the bathroom, when you're getting dressed, when, everywhere. They never leave you. And they whisper in our ears, that's our soul speaking to us, that intuitive voice. So if you want to get more and get out of the prison of, of being reactive to this world, you stay tuned into that soul voice that's always guiding us to do our best. And usually they're illogical things. They're not the logical thing. Those are beautiful takeaways, beautiful lessons. Is there anything else that comes to you, just something that we can... Any, any other message for our audience? Or yeah. Don't take life so seriously. Don't take your life so seriously. Have fun. Enjoy. Fun. Enjoy. And, and the other thing that I see really how we imprison ourselves. And I had this thought this morning. Funny you should ask me a question. I had this existential thought this morning. I said, uh, what do you think? Is it better to be a prisoner and know you're a prisoner or be a prisoner and not know you're a prisoner. Let's say a person depends on the size of the jail cell. Some people in this world, we know that we're prisoners and we want to get out, right? right? And other people are just so busy decorating their jail cells or expanding their jail cells so they don't feel the walls of their jail cells. So it's a bigger jail cell, but it's still a prison. Right. Yeah. And so... I would like to know I'm in prison so that I, that would give me a fighting chance to get out. Here's how you get out. Right. And I can expand upon this and will next time we, we have a conversation on this. And that is play all out in life. Play all out. Don't hold your feelings in. Don't hold back. If you're going to do something, whatever it is, do it 110%. Don't hold back. Cry till there's no more tears left. You're happy. Be happy. You're in love. Be in love a hundred percent. Don't play mind games with people. Don't be busy. Do being an accountant. I did this for you. What are you going to do for me? That's prison. Right. You're out of prison here. I want to share with you. You owe me nothing. Absolutely nothing. I, I get happy having a purpose of sharing with other people. And I don't need anything from you because you're not my supply anyway. 
Right. The light is supplying us all the time. The light of the creator is in supply. Is the supply in everything. Mind so we think we receive from people. We think that it's the person, but it's everything is always coming from. I'll explain that I'm clear about that. And that is money, love, opportunities. They don't come from other people. They don't come from your boss. They don't come from your clients or your customers. They come only from the light. They come through other people. I remember money, love, experiences, gifts, etc. come through other people, not from other people. The minute you designate someone as the source of your supply, back in jail. So again, I talk about this all the time in Prosperity Principles. I can expound upon this. Eventually, I'm going to write that book. It's on my to-do list. Yeah. Uh, there's so many, so many stuff. And, lessons to learn. By the way, just so everybody knows, so Batia does um, conversations on Clubhouse. You can follow her on Clubhouse. She does on Instagram, Facebook. You can go to Kabbalah.com and you can see her classes on there as well. So she also is, has written a, an do you still have your blog space? Yeah, it's still on the Kabbalah.com. Really practical blogs, like really practical, relatable blogs that bring like these big spiritual concepts down to, to everyday life situations, you know, because that's what it's about, living our daily life situations and embracing them and really getting everything we can out of them. Yes, yes. So having a, having a near-death experience has really been a gift, really been a gift for me. I, I have to say it has really radically changed me to the core. I will write the book. Actually, the reason why I didn't write the book is only because I'm still in a process and I feel like I'm coming to an end, a culmination of that process. And then when I have a little more distance from it, then I'm, beginning, I'm going to, uh, I'll be able to write from a different perspective. Because it's just like you're still integrating the experience. Exactly. I'm integrating it. It feels to me like, you know, I haven't come to the end of the school term yet. I know I have to wait till the school term ends and then look back and see the whole year of, okay, this is what happened that, you know, and put it in a, if I would have written it and I tried to write it immediately, as soon as I could pick up, uh, as soon as I could type. But I realized after the first few drafts, I, I'm still in it. I can't finish it because I'm still in it. I haven't ready. It hasn't matured yet. The, the fruit is still on the vine. I, I have to wait till it becomes mature. And Everything in divine timing. Yes. Divine yes. timing, right? Yes, absolutely. All right, well, thank okay. you so much, Batia. Again, everybody, you can follow Batia on Instagram. And check out her Clubhouse, Prosperity Principles Club. Every Monday, 2 o'clock Pacific time, we're in Clubhouse. Yeah. Every Monday, then should be It's a really casual conversation. You can learn about manifesting and about uh, prosperity in particular. It's really powerful. Yes, yeah, so it's just conversations I have. I invite people on. And I love when people join the conversation in Clubhouse rather than just listening, but, you know, actually joining and talk about the prosperity at work. I, I invite entrepreneurs and, and sidekicks and people all walks of life to talk about how to integrate prosperity principles into their lives, capitalistic principles. Beautiful. I love it. Anyway. Thank you so much again. Lots of love to you. So happy we did that. Thank you so much for listening to the end. I truly hope you enjoyed and received benefit from this episode. Please subscribe, share it with your friends and family, and or leave me a review. 
I appreciate your energy and support. You can also take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram. I'll add it to my story. Until next time, be well and take good care. Bye-bye, everyone. Lots of love. Cosmic Chats with Debbie Sugarbaker is a production of Yali Christina Podcast Services.